Okay, hello, uh, welcome to Fucking Art, which is my podcast, and I will be starting it this week. Um, it will be coming out weekly. This episode I started off with because it is an introduction episode. It is an episode that, well, the beginning of it is me introducing the podcast, but not really introducing it. Um, but yeah, it's three o'clock at the moment. I am having a one, a swell time experiencing when our minds are most connected. So that's the importance of three o'clock spiritually, if you'd like to know. Um, and if you're interested in me talking about more spiritual stuff that could come up in a following episode who knows who who ever knows but this week is an interesting topic i don't know how i got on to said topic but i hope you enjoy thanks okay so this is my first ever podcast um no one knows about this i'm not telling a soul about this it's just gonna be a conversation between you and me and that's how it's gonna be like every week uh, who the fuck knows I don't so it just kind of the conversation goes as it will that being said for this first week I will be discussing a lovely show called Infinity Train. This is no way sponsored by them at all. I... I can just say, just hold on for a moment. I'm back. Um, yes, so Infinity Train, I'm no way sponsored by them at all. I feel like I've said that 3,000 times. But I am absolutely blown away and so beyond belief that it's being discontinued. And no way am I going to go break down every single really good thing about the show. But I'm just going to watch really quick recaps of each of each book and discuss bits about it. And you won't be able to hear it. I'll just be discussing it as I relive, I guess. If that makes any sense. It probably doesn't. But that's kind of the conversation. Um, anyway, I'm watching the story of Infinity Train so far, book one. The Prenarical Child. I don't know what the... What the fuck that means. It has. Okay, I already don't like the video. Anyway, I think I'll just read something. I feel like it would get me 
a bit of result to what I'm wanting. Not white. I'm just gonna relive it as I remember. So, Infinity Train season one was all about what was the girl's name? Oh, it's Jessie. It's all about this girl named Jessie, and she has a pretty normal experience on the train compared to a lot of other people who have been on the train where Jessie gets on has a number and it oh it pretty much is going down the whole whole way she's through the train learning and growing and then by the end she helps one one who is her partner become the true train conductor oh my god it's just so... I can't even... That's like a really brief summary and that took a lot out of me for the book one. But if you just hear that book alone, it is great. But then the overarching of One One's character, who you don't really think is a huge character, is so dramatic from that first episode to like the, la- the latest episode. And just thinking of that little robot being... Like what kind of like what character he was before he was one one he was just one so it's interesting seeing how two of him two emotions act then you have Amelia oh my god who has is a character seen in like a strange light. Like you understand like how she got there, but she's got so many layers to her. It's so mesmerizing just to see that character in an animated TV show. So many layers. And she's got the like a huge ass number. Well, not not the biggest from what um what was his name that absolutely died a horrible death. Just thinking about that death, oh my god, I was like, oh, they're actually doing that. They they they're going full, they're going full at it. They they're really they're really gonna take it some places. But I appreciated it. I thought it was. Magnifique. It was just the ball curve between maturity and animation, but making it accessible for everyone. And it didn't have to be. It wasn't overly funny. Like it wasn't a huge, like a hugely laugh out loud. But it was so deep. It was so deep, in a good way as well. Unlike other deepish shows like Rick and Morty where but they have very like depressing they have a lot of depressing stuff and it's not really like solved whereas this show solves that and it's just so pure because of that so pure and it's been cancelled so I'm just having some water because I'm thirsty So yeah, I think I'm gonna watch some videos and 
with no headphones because fuck the headphones. Dominant, but the end of this dead case bond, oh. what I would consider the most ambitious animated series. Agreed. It's not just on Cartoon Network, but mm -hmm. in the entire scene of American animation. Yeah. Of course, Agreed. from a storytelling perspective, Infinity Train has one major thing going for it that causes it to stand out from the rest. Mm -hmm. Presenting itself as an anthology series, every 10 episodes of Infinity Train is divided up into its own book with its own set of protagonists that mm -hmm. tells its own story. You may already get the idea. A passenger enters a train, they go through their own arc, they get off, and we move on to the next. But it's a little bit more complex oh, than God, this is like a story. The series also has an overarching story between all of these books, and it'll likely have an ending under its belt. Very similar to a huge influence of the series Doctor Who, and a big comparison made by fans, JoJo's Bizarre Adventures. It seems as if all the books of Infinity Train are connected, even if the cast and ties to the previous installment is at an absolute minimum. But in order for this to make sense, I think a crash course is in order. Although nothing will be sitting down and watching the real deal. This week we're going to cover book one, The Perennial Child, just so we don't rush any details, and next week we can touch book two, Cracked Reflection. Without further ado, here is the story of Infinity Train so far. Book one, The Perennial Child. Friday, November 22nd, 2019. The book smart Tulip also converses with her friend Michaela about her upcoming weekend at Game Design Camp, excited for the adventure ahead of her. However, reality quickly comes crashing down. As Tulip is questioned by Michaela about the current situation with her family, revealing that Tulip is a child of divorce, something that's clearly still very new and hard for her. However, tensions only escalate wow. when Tulip arrives home. Sorry, to I just she was thinking about an idea. Turns out Tulip's for parents, my, Megan and Andy, are still having one of my own stories that is very similar, not similar, similar structure multiple stories with different protagonists and Stormont. Feeling disappointed by her parents and determined to receive her getaway from troubles, Tulip decides uh, to travel to Oshkosh by herself again. on foot, running away from home in the now. freezing cold as snowfall occurs. Tulip quickly realizes the difficulty of her situation when by happenstance she's greeted by a mysterious train. And wouldn't you know it, it's going to Oshkosh. However, this train quickly transforms from sketchy to horrifying after a glowing ring of light transports Tulip to a new location, which is similar to the snowy landscape she was just in. Initially believing she just fell asleep in the snow, Tulip encounters a small robot masquerading as a snowman. Suffering from amnesia and on a quest for his mom, this dual personality robot, one one, comprised of sad one and glad one, Tulip befriends the robotic companion. Oh, this is just really solidifying what I want to do. What I want to do in life is I want to animate and I want to do voice work. That contains an entire universe in one car. I want to try to do both. And the next door only increases her excitement. To create stories to after realizing pressure present my ideas without too much struggle. So I have so many stories. So many. And when retrieving it, she notices a glowing green number on her hand. A number that reads 115. Tula freaks out in a very bad way and suddenly realizes the immense gravity of her situation, finding herself in a desert-like wasteland, which only has an increasing threat level after Tulip witnesses a man being incinerated by a mysterious yellow vortex. Tulip attempts to flee from the train, only to encounter goons, giant cockroach-like beasts that have the capability to steal one's life force. One of these goons chases Tulip and one one back into the grid car, yet the duo is able to outsmart the creature and flee the car entirely. 
It's at this point where Tulip makes the decision with absolute confidence that she's getting off this train. While trying to figure her way off the train, Tulip decides to take an analytical approach to figure out what's going on with the number on her hand. Though despite running through many doors and timing herself, what causes her number to shift is sharing a fond memory about her father. Though when one unintentionally fearmongers her into believing that when her number hits zero, she will achieve instant death and spoiler alert, her number went down. Yet the true function of the number is made clear to the audience very soon, as Tulip enters the beach car, a car that hosts a race of water beings that have their own economy and market, a client within that market being a devious cat referred to, well, as THE Cat, who recognizes 1-1, and after hearing Tulip's story, convinces Tulip to trade in 1-1 in exchange for the cat getting the conductor, and hopefully, Tulip off the train. But after one of these water inhabitants, Randall, runs through his business plan while Tulip takes it to heart, realizing that she needs to get 1-1 back, and does so despite the cat's wishes. Tulip and 1-1 enter the Corgi car, which takes them to the kingdom of Corginia, led by their king Corgi, Atticus, who recruits Tulip and 1-1 to help vanquish a monster who is terrorizing their kingdom. This monster, however, ends up being another component of the train, the Steward, who evidently has machine guns for eyes, yikes, and despite her best efforts, Tulip is unable to defeat the Steward, but God, I can't even think about this. Anymore. It's just so, so many layers, so many layers to a story that just makes it so much more intense. And I just can't believe that a show like this has been cancelled because it really shouldn't be cancelled. It, it is really innovating. It is really innovating. But I guess that's what, what happens. People can't see past what it's actually doing. I, if you're hearing this, I don't know. Probably no one's going to hear this, to be honest. But who the fuck knows? You need to watch Infinity Train. It is amazing. And you can't really... You're listening to me. You're listening to me. You're not listening to what it's saying. But it's still a very difficult situation but to endure. After you the cat on if you can tell, process, it has so many emotions. And it's just being marketed to the wrong group of people. It has been marketed to the wrong group of people. If it was, if it was um, marketed to Adult Swim or something like that, it would be in a 10 times better positioning. And they would have a huge hit. On what their is hands. the gimmick of this car? What is its purpose? Somehow, if HBO Max fixes itself, and after and how they're structured their huge movie releases compared to Disney's premium, I think Disney looking pretty bad. It needs to sort its shit out because. HBO Max is coming for its gig so hard, and Netflix is already past news nearly. Only it's got some originals, but to, to be honest, they they make an original, you fall in love, and then they cancel it. But HBO Max and Disney don't have that problem. 
They don't have so much content. They just have good content. Netflix is trying to oversaturate it, and it does not do well. And it kind of throws her off her game. Tulip's reflection, or mirror tulip, explains that in order to unlock the mirror, they need to switch places and open it at the same time. Wow. Against warning, tulip goes for the. And you didn't even know this is important until. Yeah. Get it? She she double crossed her. Mirror tulip declaring independence. Tulip seeks help from Atticus in One One's reflections, only for reflected One One, who interesting sounds like a stern glad one, informs that he already sought help from the reflection enforcement, otherwise known as the Flex. The Flex, Agent Steve and Agent Mace, quickly arrives on the scene and begins her pursuit of Mirror Tulip, or as they call her, Sliver. And oh, this chase is gonna last a lot longer than you think. The Flex aims to straight up assassinate Mirror Tulip, much against our Tulip's wishes, and Tulip fights to save both herself and her reflection. Yet Mirror Tulip finds difficulty escaping, as there are no reflective surfaces for her to walk on. Tulip is determined to not give up on her reflection, who is insulted by the gesture of help, because as far as Mirror Tulip is concerned, Tulip herself always denied help, indulging in her own misery, refusing to open up to anyone about how she's feeling, and making excuses as to why she can hang out with Michaela. Coming to terms with her past actions, Tulip offers Mirror Tulip her own mirror if they switch back. Her reflection agrees, but they both manage to escape thanks to the help of the mirror in Tulip's pocket knife. Instead of tagging along with Tulip, however, Mirror Tulip decides she's going to go off on her own path, really relish in that independence, deciding that going forward, she will no longer be anyone's reflection, but her own person. Mirror Tulip also encourages Tulip to remove her glove, that she doesn't need to care about what the train thinks of her. As they split ways, Tulip takes off the glove and discovers her number is now down all the way to three, which, as the cat alluded to, is a very good thing. Luckily, we're in store for some disaster! Yay! Our heroes enter the ball pit car. It's a car with uh, a giant ball pit. I mean, not really much to it. It looks fun. It looks look as hell. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese and McDonald's play place combined, but on steroids. How could you not? God, and you just think about what one one is like right now. It is insane to think how little GD he is, and then his end in book four is just insane. Insane. I'm spoiling so much, but I don't care. You, you just need to watch the show. Like, pause now. Pause now and come back after you've finished watching. Because this is the last chance you'll get. Because this show is just so too good. Why does the conductor want one one? The conductor also backstabs the cat. And the conductor sets two of all five steps back by stating everything is her fault. Atticus, being the MVP, lunges at the conductor. But unfortunately, it's no use. After commanding Tulip to stop while she's ahead, the conductor makes a point by shooting Atticus. The oh. fallen king drops to the ground. And to add insult to the insult of the injury, the steward completely wrecks what remains of the car. As they exit, Atticus's body transforms to a goon, attempting to drain Tulip's life force, but a piece of Atticus manages to stop himself. After trapping Goom Atticus to prevent him harming anyone else, Tulip breaks down into tears while 1-1 comforts her. Tulip is ready to wave the white flag, 
engulfed in the pain of losing her friend. And as a result, her number begins to climb back up. The cat, surviving the conductor's double cross, offers Tulip the conductor's tape, which she grabbed previously at the end of the cat's car. Tulip, the cat, and 1-1 enter the tape and quickly learn the origins of the conductor. A couple by the name Ulrich and Amelia has seen a Hasbro's We see them graduating from engineering school and Ulrich even being proposed to by Amelia. Their future looks beautiful. Nothing beats Telfast for fast, non-drowsy, 24-hour action. Did someone say KFC? Hi, come on, come on, come on, and we're back. Using a voice modifier, Auric seems to emulate a voice that sounds exactly like the conductor, alarming Tulip, but also beginning to frustrate her. As the fast forward, they learned that Amelia has seemingly passed away, Auric in mourning. Somehow, one one is able to enhance the memory to discover that not Amelia, but Auric was the one to pass away. Amelia is seen on campus of her university when the roof mysteriously disappears. Following this occurrence, she was quickly whisked away into the infinity train, somehow eventually becoming the conductor. But the cat points out that the front of the train has cannons, similar to the weapon Amelia used to shoot Atticus. And if another one of these cannons exists, Atticus can be saved. Tulip, not needing to care for the conductor, claims that Amelia was just running away from her problems, until she realizes that's exactly what she was doing. And now, she's ready to confront those problems. And because of that, the number on Tulip's hand reaches zero, and she's presented her exit home. But Tulip knows she can't leave Atticus hanging, so Tulip works together with the cat to reach the front of the train, the engine. As the cat brings Tulip to the engine, the cat decides to make her exit, informing Tulip that she always does the right thing. Tulip, still having a trap transform Atticus in tow, traverses through the latest car Amelia is working on, which strikes a dissimilarity to the unfinished car. Reaching the actual engine, Tulip confronts Amelia, who shocked Tulip still around considering her number has hit zero. Aiming for a distraction, Tulip gets payback and traps Amelia in her own tape. Tulip looks for the proper orb to restore Atticus to no avail, while Amelia triggers a failsafe that awakens the steward, destroying the tape and liberating Amelia. Amelia threatens to change Tulip's number and send her exit to as far back of the train as possible, but Tulip stands her ground, unleashing Goom Atticus at the steward. Searching for a corgi orb while warding off Amelia, Tulip realizes that the unfinished car was Amelia's attempt at recreating her university. Not just a car, but a reality where Amelia can still be with her love. Explaining her viewpoint, Amelia tempts Tulip with the chance of living in a car where her parents are still together, but Tulip acknowledges Isn't that that crazy? Amelia is and we get a nice just built up all emotion oh, from being she's alone. Old. She's kind of wrinkly and maybe like malnourished. Like how often is she eating on the train? Mm -hmm. Elsewhere, one one finally saw Amelia. I mean, she's so old. As Tulip and Amelia's battle rages on, and one one regains control of the train, including control of the steward and book restoring book four. Oh god, Amelia book four makes this so much more. Forced to face reality, the trio is properly reunited. Cool and intense. that he is the real conductor, and as Amelia explains, one one was removed after refusing to make a car where Alaric was still alive, and it doesn't seem as if Amelia is getting off the train anytime soon, as her number is at such an impressive count that it covers her entire body up until her neck. Tulip encourages Amelia to adapt to the changes in her life, and that she hopes one day Amelia can get her exit. When one brings forth Tulip's exit, the trio have an emotional farewell, bringing Tulip's journey to a close as she returns home. Turns out that guy she saw getting incinerated, they were just traveling back home as well. And Tulip's five months on the train comes to a close. Seven months later, Tulip has adapted to the changes five in her life. Five months on the train. 
Her father arrives. Imagine that. As he exits the house, Tulip lacks a reflection, so we know everything was real. And Tulip declares yeah. she's ready for anything. She loses her reflection. There's Amelia. The first part of the train so far. Yeah, they're the two storylines that have started so far. As the most ambitious in terms of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And if you're new to Infinity Train or just needed a refresher, I hope to see you there. But regardless, drop your thoughts on Infinity Train in the comments below. I don't need to drop my thoughts. We're going to the next one. Infinity Train is so good. Mm -hmm. This is where it just picks Last up. Last week on the story so far, we recapped Infinity Train Book 1, The Perennial mm -hmm. Child, which isn't just a great personal story about a child overcoming her parents' divorce, but yeah. a grand introduction to the world of the Infinity Train. Mm -hmm. When I refer to it as the most ambitious animated series on television right now, mm -hmm. I don't believe it got its time to shine in Book 1. But no. Two, which is still pretty fresh, elevates this series into an entirely different level. Oh, My entire really does. My entire reason why Train to such high regard entirely sounds from the execution of book two and how it sets up a brewing conflict for future installments mm -hmm. while still managing to be its own self-contained story. Oh my god, so the deal. Oh my god, I forgot the deal. Two months after the events of book one, Mirror Tulip or MT, the physical chrome embodiment of Tulip's own still is on her journey of self-discovery and still on the run from the flex. Equipped with a bottle of spray paint, which is used to prevent the flex from jumping out of reflective surfaces, MT dons a ripped black shirt, dark jeans, and shaves her head. Not just to evade the forces of the mirror police, but to further separate her identity from Tulip. And I gotta say, not once during correct reflection did I ever think of Mirror Tulip as Tulip. The show really does do a great job of showing that they're two different people. But the flex specs are different. Hot on MT's trail, she manages to outsmart and evade them, and seeks refuge in the next car. One that's simply a calm autumn forest. It's here she meets a mysterious deer with mysterious power, assisting MT by camouflaging her from the flags. As they search elsewhere, MT bonds with her new animal friend, until she wakes up to find someone else chatting it up with the deer, a teenager named Jesse, who's given the deer a new identity, Alan Dracula, which Alan Dracula. in the writer's room because creator of Infinity Train Owen Dennis suggested the name Alan, while simultaneously, a writer Alexander Horab suggested the name Dracula. And just like that, Alan Dracula was born. While confronting oh, Jesse, MT discovers that Alan oh, Dracula has even more powers. But that in itself is quickly sidestepped when, in the midst of an argument, MT and Jesse find Alan Dracula comically falling down a hole. This rescue mission leads him to discover that they're actually in the family tree car, living personified trees and branches, consisting of members of two different families who despise each other but are bound by marriage. This car ends up reflecting, no pun intended, MT and Jesse, two sides who can't see eye to eye and get along. And the more they argue, the more they're essentially webbed into the tree itself. Jesse's slowly transforming into wood. Will they discover, once they begin to complement one another, the more they're unraveled through the tree and able to exit. They reunite with Alan Dracula, who climbs up the tree with something to help each other. MT realizes it. Jesse has joined the party. MT willing to help him get his number down. 
which actually went up, as Jesse's resolve to hoping the two families get along was agreeing with both sides with opposite opinions. Jesse doing what he thinks people want for him, as opposed to doing what he wants for himself, is quickly made apparent to be the reason why he's on the train in the first place. Mm. Entering the map car, they're introduced to the Marcel. The objective? The more of a map they can manage to piece together, the more the world itself comes alive. MT thinks Jesse needs to solve this car the hard way as opposed to the easy way, as it'll help him reach an emotional discovery and advance to the next car. But because Jesse is just following someone else's instruction, his number increases. However, after talking about some of his pushover experiences, Jesse's number begins to decrease. But things quickly turn to crazy town as they realize Marcel is trying to keep them on an endless adventure. Realizing that whatever he draws in the map will manifest, Jesse illustrates an exit, which fully realizes the car's environment, Marcel dissipating into the wind as a result. Unfortunately for MT, this beautiful transformation has caused the water in the car to become reflective, and allowing Agent Sieve and Mace to show up. Panicked, MT and Jesse flee to the next car, the Toad Car, a car that's pretty small, plain, mm, and straightforward. Take this talking toe that looks like he's right out of over the garden wall, and you'll be able to advance into the next over car. Jesse realizes that because he doesn't want to kick the toad. If he does, his number will just of the cult on her ass and her character being developed as so different from Tulips. It's the same person at the same time because it's been it's what they're after. It's so good, and then their conflict already built. Within like a couple of episodes, is intense. Jesse finds a video of his little brother, whom Jesse and his friends tricked into doing a dangerous stunt, mocking the child for being injured and displaying his pain in the process. MT smashes Jesse's phone, while Jesse throws back MT's wanted poster, which he picked up previously. MT opens up to Jesse, explaining that she was Tool's reflection, but she wanted to be her own person, and when she got the opportunity, she took it. But it's against mirror law. Reflections cannot be independent of their Crime, especially running free throughout the train. So they decided to come after her, even if she doesn't deserve it. However, their understanding is cut short as Mace returns with a weapon devastating enough to break into the door. However, Alan Dracula kicks the toad at the last second, allowing MT and Jesse to escape as they liberate the toad from his position, trapping Mace and Steve in the car. Alan Dracula ends up catching a parasite that causes him to speak, who's named Perry. Shenanigans ensue, Alan Dracula's powers begin to act on the Fritz, which MT and Jesse recognize as Alan. Dracula trying to get Perry out of his system. Despite Perry's attempts at manipulation, Jesse asserts that they like Alan Dracula because he's Alan Dracula. He doesn't need to talk and verbally communicate with them. They understand that he cares and does his best to protect them. Jesse gets Alan Dracula to sneeze Perry out, his number goes down to 11, and they advance to the next car. Which is where everything gets crazy. crazy MT, Jesse, yeah. and Alan Dracula enter the Lucky Cat car, which is really more so a carnival car. They encounter a fan favorite character, the cat, whom reveals that in this car, competition the cat. is the name of the game. Also, so important and is from the first book. Not the character, but overlinks. There's so many stories going on at the same time. Like the cat story hasn't even been really developed. It's there. Where, when did the when did the cat start? When did the cat actually start? Because it seems like it's been here for a while. Buying the masked opponent enough time to claim the door. However, shenanigans are afoot. As this masked individual opens the door and lets a flock of passengers into the car, we quickly learn that this figure is actually a rival of the cat, a passenger named Grace. 
Her and her crew sporting markings oh, in their Christ. face that is visually similar to the conductor. In the spooky robot mech form, not Amelia herself, Grace commands her team to steal nutrients from the car, inviting Jesse and MT back to their living quarters. Now, there's two reasons as to why this car was the one that changed everything for me. One, MT and Jesse shed light that there actually is some sort of prejudice between denizens of the car and the passengers, as Jesse was scoring higher points than MT simply because he was a passenger. Individual skill and precision didn't matter. But two, we were just introduced to the Apex. And although we'll shed light on them in a second, the reason why this is so yeah. important for Infinity Train's narrative and why it stands out is because with this episode, we're finally given a taste of how crazy this show can be. While we're in the middle of two characters on their own journey, they ended up finding themselves in a much bigger conflict in this train. It really mm -hmm. hones in that despite each car being its own world, the Infinity Train is still a world in itself, a world with its own politics and affairs. Anyone's journey can be derailed at any given moment, but mm -hmm. it doesn't disrupt the overarching narrative because it is the overarching narrible. I want to gush and so many layers in an upcoming theory video I'm looking up. But as I recap the following events, I think your mind can paint a beautiful picture of where this can go. Grace gives Jesse and MT a proper introduction to the Apex. Passengers who want to stay on the train. And as far as they're concerned, Amelia was the true conductor. Because of how long Grace and Simon have been on the train relative to how long Amelia overthrew 1-1, they see 1-1 coming in and restoring the train to its original state. Passengers being delivered in pop. Receiving a welcome message. They believe all of that is a facade. The purpose of the train isn't to get your number down and leave, it's to get your number up as high as possible because you were brought to the train for a reason, and that reason was for a better life. A life where you make your own rules, your own regulations. No learning and growing on how to be a better person. All of your experience should be in knowing how to conquer and how to raise your number. And that aforementioned prejudice between denizens and passengers, the apex heavily perpetuates it. Referring to denizens as gnolls, including MT, they don't have a number, they don't really have an identity. And just a cherry on top, Grace says she read about it in a book. Yeah, real sweet gal. Grace and her second-in-command, Simon, convinced Jesse to live a little in all their own. Oh, I'm break. Let's go, man. Australian apples at Woolworths with crisp, crunchy Australian pink lady apples, now just $3.50 a kilo. That's why I pick Woolies. Okay, we're back. I feel like I haven't really been saying much, so I'm just going to pause for a moment because a lot has happened. So, we have been introduced to another story element that gets brought into the train for not only not only is it present like it's mainly present in this book and then the next book obviously oh my god and then it was brought back in on the fourth book as well in a strange way because you know that's just how they look upon like how the relationship between the nulls and um, the people in the train is because of that. It's like that's how they, and it's so crazy that that's the world that they built. Oh my god, absolutely insane! The m magnitudes of layers and Grace as a character. Oh my god, just you wait. 
you thought you got tulip and then grace oh my god oh my god an empty Let's keep going. Dracula, who was taken by the hooligans in the apex, only to find they're taking terrible care of him, giving MT the same reaction Aang had when he found out Appa was muzzled. The apex decides to throw MT off the train, but luckily Jesse, listening to his conscience, is able to come in for the same. Prepared for this moment thanks to Jesse's naive exposition, Grace summons to flex on MT, causing things to go from bad to worse. However, Jesse's determination to protect MT causes his number to fully hit zero. His exit forming right in front of their eyes. Jesse and MT try to dash through the door, but unfortunately only Jesse can go as MT lacks a number. Because she's a denizen, she's anchored to the train. Jesse is gone. In a last-ditch effort to invade the flex, a distraught MT flees with Alan Dracula, their evasion from the police taking them to a top of the train cars. But before MT realizes, Bad Cop Mace has cuffed himself to her. As if she can't catch a break, the train begins to shift itself, causing MT to jump out of harm's way. But as she narrowly avoids death, Mace is cut in half. The two denizens and Alan Dracula fighting themselves in the wasteland. MT, dragging and barely getting by Mace, seeks to voyage out beyond the wasteland, hoping she'll finally get away from the train, but finds Mace slowly trying to break her down, asserting that she's a reflection, nothing else. After a certain point of travel, MT finds she's physically unable to advance further, as if gravity herself refuses, pulling her back to the train. Goons attempt to attack, but Alan Dracula shields MT and Mace by extending his antlers and transforming into a barrier. Barely finding themselves in safety, Mace continues to taunt MT, informing that her only purpose in life is to aid passengers and help them grow. That was the entire purpose of the chrome car in the first place. That MT only exists to be the person that the passengers need her to be. However, Mace is really After mentioning she can't get off the train, reminding MT of the characters that are on the train that don't have numbers, it just gave them the ability for them to have deep, deep stories. Deep stories. MT uses the train's force field to her advantage, and using her smarts, she uses a Super Mario jump to bring them to the train. But right as they're on the cusp of true safety, Mace attempts to take MT out one final time. MT returning the favor by swinging his body directly into the wheels of the train, crushing Mace and reducing his body into nothing. Having just killed a man, MT pulls herself together at the top of the train and sets her sights on an upcoming pod. After throwing out an unfortunate soul and abandoning him at the top of the train, oh my god, that's just frightening. Imagine waking up in a new dimension and you're just seeing the wasteland. Yeah, I would be horrified, especially on top of a moving vehicle. Anyways, MT rides the pod to a very important car, one where one one narrates the universe is actually projected on the outside instead of the inside. Not long after, she discovers how tapes are made, a foggy, very eerie section of the car where passengers are essentially farmed. Robotic servants of the train scanning their memories in a form of a film reel, and from there the passengers head down a stream where they're given a number. Also, all the while they're unconscious, I just wanted to make that clear. Anywho, one of the examples we're given is a girl who mistakenly kills her pet lizard. MT tries to get the girl's number imposed on her hand, only to discover the machine goes right through her. For whatever reason, likely because she's a denizen and not an actual human being, or because they're able to identify the proper number of the proper passenger, MT is unable to claim a number of her own. This is her breaking point. She's come all this way. She has literally taken a life, and none of it was enough. MT begins destroying the various robots and even goes for the number machine. But her actions are ceased by the arrival of not just the steward, but its pilot, the conductor of the train, 1-1. 
911 request for Mirror Tool's cooperation. Recognizing her as Tool's reflection, MT asserts that she's not Tulip, she's her own person, and that she deserves a number. However, 11 declares that she's a denizen. She helps people. That's her purpose. Attempting to prove this to MT, 11 pulls up Jesse's file, only to discover that it states Jesse's in progress. For one reason or another, he's back on the train. After recovering Jesse and scanning his memories, MT discovering how much she's grown alongside him, 11 and MT discover that Jesse's problem now lies with the train itself. He needed to get back on in order to reunite with MT. 11 attempts to refute. His programming has run into an error, sending 11 into one confused loop. Jesse's return so MT could get off the train with them, but denizens aren't made to leave the train. As this is all happening, the other agent, Steve, returns. Furious that MT has taken Mace's life, and now he's here to finish what Mace started. It's all come to this. Steve does his best to hack and slash MT to no avail, buying MT and Jesse enough time to realize that because MT is made out of chrome, she can reflect Jesse's number, which, due to his circumstances, is frequently changing to different fractions and symbols. Once they align Jesse's number with MT's number, however, they ask 11 for a new exit, as now MT technically qualifies as a passenger. 11 agrees with their solution and creates two exits that merge into one. MT and Jesse can finally go home. MT can finally escape. They're finally free. But at the last second, Steve grabs onto MT, determined to take her down. And rolling for one last save, MT rips a chunk of the grass out of the ground, sending it through the exit and back onto the train, grabbing the attention of Alan Dracula. And with the laser eyes he displays once before, he fires away at Steve, causing the man to explode. Both of these cops have had beyond brutal murders. What a way to go out. One more remarks that he broke the mold of Alan Dracula, who flies back to his home. Now in the real world, Jesse introduces his brother Nate to MT, Nate being shocked that Jesse's tale was actually real. Now able to embrace herself in her identity, MT is able to admire her reflection with no repercussions, staring into a lake. Finally, at the end of her self-discovery, MT declares her new name. Inspired by the body of water, she dubs herself Lake. And there you have it, the story of Infinity Train so far. And guys, there's just so many questions left behind from these two books. With both mirror police officers killed, how will the mirror dimension, namely its 1-1, react to the news. Lake is out of their clutches, but the deer and prime still exist. What's in store for the apex? Where will their conquest of the train take them? Things are getting crazy. I have so many things I want to get out. Look how many layers. If you heard at the end, I told you how many different stories are going on at once. You have Tulip, you have the deer, you have those two stories, you have, um, now you've got, um, MT and Jessie. What is MT? She's a chrome girl. What is she going to do in, she's in the real world now. So you got that story that you can always lean back on. And then you've got the train, just getting more passengers. You have the chrome world, the mirror world. But most of these stories, they never get it, they never get brought up again. But that's just why this show is so good. It has so many good stories. And they hit so well. But if you've never seen the video train before, or you need a refresher, drop your thoughts on book two in the comments below. Okay, we'll watch one more.
can tell you about book four because I've watched it. Book three is a bit more less in. Actually, no, I don't need. I don't need it. Book three follows Grace. Oh my god, I forget their name so bad. Grace. Oh, uh, what's his name? If you haven't seen these episodes or Infinity Train at all, what are you doing here, you goofball? First of all, this is going to be filled with spoilers. And second of all, it's so important right now that you support Infinity Train. Especially yeah, if you're in really the description. Go watch those episodes if you're able to. All right, disclaimer over. Let's get to the video. Guys, after an exciting three weeks, the absolute roller coaster that is Infinity Train Season 3 has finally come to a close. I could go on and on about how incredible this was or how groundbreaking the season was or that I was completely blown away by the ending and that it legitimately scarred me. But I don't gotta tell you that. Yeah. If you've seen this season, especially these last two episodes, I'm sure you agree. So I'm gonna go through these last two episodes and kind of break down and explain what exactly happened because I'm literally still processing it. First and foremost, I wanna address the elephant in the room. These last two episodes, they were dark. Infinity Train does not play around. There are very few cartoons I've seen that are willing to go as far as Infinity Train. And these last two episodes really establish the fact that this isn't some dumb cartoon for babies. In fact, I am a legal adult, and these episodes still shook me to my core. When I close my eyes, I see the horrors that Owen Dennis and his team created, and it's beautiful. No, on episode 8, I really was like, how are they going to resolve all this in two episodes? And the answer is... They did and they didn't. Episode 9 actually starts with Hazel, the focus of the season, the big mystery of the season, mm -hmm. Hazel. Amelia choosing to no longer be with Grace and Simon, and I cannot blame her. Oh, there it is. Grace and Simon, and, and there's Amelia. What was the other one? Episode actually starts with Hazel. The Hazel. Hazel, Amelia. Um, Simon and Grace. So, can I just have you with Amelia, uh, not Amelia, Grace and Hazel's, oh my god, their relationship towards, like, the middle once they started forming it, it would nearly bring me to tears every time they talked. That was how emotional their scenes were because you could see Grace learning and growing and Simon not and you just saw that shift so drastically so quickly towards the end the two how how much of the same person they were before and how different they changed towards the end because of the decisions they both made throughout the chain and just thinking about how long they were on the train for compared to the past two um, books is insane because they were there before Tulip and um, before uh, uh, MT, Simon and Grace were there way before that because they had to get all all their points and they only started when they were like young, like when they were like 
like five or something. So they had been there for 10, 10 years or something like that. And it's just crazy to think that they were on there for that long. And then when you get to the end, you have so many people that die and it's supposed to be a kid's show. It really is not. It really, it is far from just being a kid's show. It is actual really deep and meaningful entertainment. And it's just crazy to think how overlooked it has been. And book four really, really shows you what you're missing. Book four is absolutely insane. How it ties in, how it's more fresh, how it's more, how they were, by book three, they were layering on a lot of story from past seasons. Um, but they were having them in their own contained story. Book four gets rid of that null and thing because it's a prequel. It is a prequel. It is absolutely breathtaking how fresh it felt for the show and how it just makes it seem like it needs it needs to keep going. The show just needs to keep going. That's just the end and bottom line. Oh my god, my mouth is so dry. Uh, anyway, that's my rant over. I'm just gonna, what you call it? I'm not finished up, just have last, last thoughts. thoughts or a That is one episode out of me, and it was a fun. It was a fun journey. I honestly, I don't know how much of this I can. I know I can release a lot of it because I'm just reacting to YouTube videos really, and commenting on the importance of going and watching this show. Is absolute amazing show and I highly recommend watching it um I love how I'm going to post this somewhere and not tell anyone about it because I do not give a fuck I don't give a fuck and that is the hot diggity damn tea about that decision
Yes. I hope whenever you're listening to this, I hope you have a wonderful day, night, evening, lunchtime. So, yeah. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.